When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us. The movie The Opponent that was featured in the Panorama section at the Berlin Film Festival earlier this year is a powerful film. Iman, played by Iranian actor Paiman Mahdi, is forced to flee Iran with his wife and two daughters. They arrive in northern Sweden at a refugee camp. Realizing that it may help him stay in the country, Iman resumes his wrestling career. But increasing inner turmoil, struggles with masculinity and powerlessness plague him. I'm so pleased to be joined by writer-director Milad Alami, who he himself arrived to Sweden as a refugee from Iran at age six. Mr. Milad Alami, thank you so much for being here, and thank you very much for this film. Thank you. We are speaking in March of 2023, so it's been about six months since the protests broke out in Iran after Masamini's suspicious death. She was detained by the Iranian morality police because her hijab did not cover her hair enough. I know your film is banned in Iran, but I've come to understand that it's become part of the conversation, you said. Can you explain why? Well, I think that, you know, making the film, uh, uh, we did this before the kind of the, the protests broke out in Iran. So it was just, uh, it was basically a film about freedom and what it is to kind of live in a society where freedom isn't allowed and then come to a new society like Sweden that's very open. You can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want and kind of the consequences of that. Uh, so when the film was released in Berlin, at the world premiere, it was really obvious that, you know, a lot of the things that was happening in Iran was kind of, you know, symbolized in the film in a way or were linked in the film. So I'm just happy that, you know, people can use the film as a, a kind of a, a conversation for what's happening in Iran. Um, it wasn't my intention to begin with, but I, you know, I, I, like most Iranians who are living outside of Iran, are using every kind of uh, uh, thing that we can, if it's social media or film music, uh, to kind of say something about how uh, the Iranian, uh, you know, regime is using its uh, power uh, to strike down on people. So it's kind of I'm I'm very happy that the film is being used in that way. And how would you say it is being used? I think it's you know it's because because of the themes. You know, if you have a theme that is kind of basically about freedom, it's you know it's so linked with uh, uh, you know, women, life, freedom kind of movement in, in Iran. So uh, making a film, I think that making a film about a subject in Iran right now, it will be linked to what's happening in Iran right now. And I'm just, uh, you know, a lot of people are like kind of talking about, in Berlin, there was a lot of people talking about, uh, you know, basically how the Iranian government works, like what you can do and what you can't do. And there are some themes 
without going into spoilers about the film that is very kind of not kind of allowed in Iran uh, within the Iranian regime. Uh, and, and the second thing was uh, uh, kind of, you know, what's happening in Sweden, how it is to live in Sweden as an Iranian. And, and, but, but it's been used in many ways. It's a film that asks a lot of questions, you know. It asks questions about freedom. It asks questions about masculinity, intimacy, violence. And, and after the film, a lot of people want to talk about it. Even the title uh, is really kind of, you know, I, I had a conversation yesterday with a woman who'd seen it with her parents. And she was really like talking about the title, how it made sense for them being, you know, fleeing Iran in the end of the 80s, beginning of 90s. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it, it asks a lot of questions. And I'm, I'm very proud that it's, it's out now, you know, it couldn't be a better time for it. In the opponent, Imam, his wife, the kids, arrived to a refugee center in northern Sweden, and it was actually shot not far from the refugee center where you arrived as a child at the age of six. What do you remember? What are your first impressions of life in a refugee center? I think it was so many years ago, you know, so for me, it was kind of more a feeling, this feeling of you know, anticipation and happiness for something new to begin, kind of mixed with feelings of, you know, fear and 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 anxiety for something to stop, you know. And that feeling was something that was very important for me to use in the film. So we, uh, it took almost a year uh, to find this place where we shot it in the north of Sweden. And I remember living in a kind of, school it was surrounded by forest it was very beautiful and kind of harsh the landscape and i remember i had this feeling of like you can play there but it, you could almost you can also get killed there because it's so cold you know you can die there so and, and these things are something that was important for me so we found this place in the uh, north of sweden and we kind of built this refugee center uh, uh, in a uh, in an old hotel and uh, yeah it was it was a very kind of uh, emotional thing to film there because all of the extras they were real uh, refugees and you know for me I have a completely different you know education now it's been so many years I have a different social class and everything but filming the scenes there with them felt like I was back in a way and it was it was a very emotionally kind of strong feeling and it kind of affected the actors and the crew as well so it felt like even if we're saying telling a completely fictionalized story it was rooted in this real life experiences and and that was very important and what was your impression of swedes i think my impression of swedes it was so, you, you know it was so many years ago but it was really i remember feeling like a complete alien it was so different from what i remembered as a six-year-old you know I, where we came from you know I, I was born in tehran so it's a very big city with a lot of sound lights uh people and then coming to the north of sweden where it's basically 100 people living in a, in a small town so i just remember having this feeling of like these people are so different from me and there are so many 
you know, things that I have no idea of how to do. And those things kind of haunted me during some of my years growing up there. And it was very concrete things. It was like, you know, skiing and, you know, having the right clothes for the, the the landscape and the and the temperature and all of these things were you know when you you when we were for example we were shooting some scenes and we had to buy clothes for uh, the refugees that helped us because they did they, they, they didn't they were like going through the exact same thing I went through so I remember having this feeling of you know there were so many questions uh, and it, it was like everything else it was bo- it was we met people who were uh, I remember I have, uh, you know, r- memories of people who are very kind, wanted to welcome us, uh, and we felt very welcomed. And and at the same time, having these, uh, you know, encounters of racism and and these things, they were kind of common, both of them. How would you describe that racism? You, it's because the north of Sweden, where where when I came in the end of the eighties, it was it wasn't that many foreigners or people from that who aren't white living there. So uh, you know, people coming from uh, back in those days, it was like Somalia, Eritrea, uh, Iran, Iraq. It was some Lebanese, you know. And I think that for a lot of people there, it was like, oh my God, these are the foreigners. I wonder where they're from. So it was the, it was kind of being met with this, um, uh, you know, feeling of uh, fear sometimes. And 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 and. But often I have to say that when when I kind of when some years passed and you have a feeling of uh, how the society works and who are welcoming you, it kind of you know it went it was easier, but. I remember very vividly these memories of having really good Swedish friends. And then sometimes when I met their parents, I had this feeling that they might not even want me to hang around their kids because I wasn't like them, you know. So it was these kind of um, kind of indirect type of racism, if you understand what I mean. Um, I thought it was interesting. You start the film with a quote, and I'm sorry if I'm if I'm paraphrasing and misquoting. It's um, if you keep silent, it will destroy you in the end. And and of course, I I see that from the Iranian perspective. But I thought it was kind of interesting from a Swedish perspective too, because it, I, for me, a feeling of Swedish is the neutrality, try to keep quiet. Um, and I thought it was interesting that you would start with that quote from both perspectives. Did you think about that at all? No, uh, I, but I, I really liked the idea of, <laughs> of it. It was a really, really good uh, uh, observation from you. I think that definitely it's such a Swedish thing, you know, that we're keeping, you know, keeping neutral, not saying something that might offend. And at the same time, you don't really make a choice. So it it's offends, you know, so. Uh, but uh, my intention with the quote was to have something that went into the first scene of the film. You know, the first scene of the film, the main character is fleeing something. And having that quote, it felt like that scene grew. It felt like it, we, it, the reason he was fleeing uh, was bigger than what we are seeing. So it, it, it kind of created this mystery, you know. But it's such a, it's a really interesting uh analysis i think definitely that that quote also works for but that's you know it's a quote for, uh, from a writer you know uh, african-american writer i believe she is uh, and, and i think that you know that quote works for most places but it is true sweden has also during the second world war been really like neutral 
but there's a difference between choosing to keep silent exactly. and being being you know made to keep silent but and of course it's not only a swedish thing but the bureaucratic process sort of taking over the human connection and the human process is that something that you yourself felt that you were a number in a refugee center so to speak I think that it was, uh, yeah, both, uh, the thing was that, you know, coming in the end of the 80s, it was a different time. We didn't spend that much time in a refugee center. It was a much shorter time than what people, how, how long people spend now. But uh, I had worked, you know, before I started making films, before I went to film school, I worked with, uh, uh, you know, young refugee kids who were living in refugee centers for almost two years and then did a lot of research. So, a lot of those scenes are real things I encountered. And it's, it's some of them are really abs absurd. You know, it can be funny. You're like, oh, my God, is this real? But they were things I either heard about, someone told me, or I saw myself. But it was, you know, I think that having this system in Sweden, it was important not to say that, oh, everything is like the Swedish people's fault or like individual's fault. It's more the system that is you know malfunctioning in a way it's it's difficult to live within that system and not feel like a number because so you are in so many places around Europe in so many places and i think that it's it's even worse in some parts of europe than it's in sweden but it's it's kind of a it was important to say that you know for me it was just a political thing to even make a film about refugees and refugee families coming to sweden and just portray them as human beings and having them you know, uh, just uh, a kind of humanistic and uh, an empathy while I portray them, because often it's portrayed in a kind of black and white or like how the politicians use them to win, you know, votes and stuff. So, but it's that system is really, it's difficult for people not to feel like a number, you know, especially if you are in that system for a long time. I've met people who were there for five, six years, you know, which is and it's really today, right? messed with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So getting into the character of Ma, you were mentioning he is struggling with masculinity. Um, could you describe his struggle? I think, yeah, definitely. There is like, you know, I think that without, you know, saying too much about the kind of twists and turns of the film, uh, you know, he's a he's kind of a working class guy living in, uh, you know, grew up in Iran. He's a wrestler. Wrestling is a super masculine sport. It's a sport where, you know, it's almost like an image of Iran as a, as a as a country that you are like the masculine man who, you know, wins uh, every who, who can kind of push everyone out of the ring. And there was so many kind of symbolism within it. And I, I thought it was just interesting to have a character who starts to doubt this who starts to doubt his place within the family when they moved to Sweden. And some of the things that, that was worth something in Iran, that kind of masculinity that is like you are the main kind of provider for the family, you are uh, highest on the hierarchy, and then suddenly coming to Sweden where you can't control your freedom, you're living in a refugee center, and then suddenly you get some friends with, through wrestling that aren't at, at all like the people that you knew in, in Iran. How does that affect you? And can it show parts of yourself that you perhaps have uh, suppressed, you know? So I, it was just, it's, I just found it really interesting. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I wrote this screenplay 
really uh, quite fast after I, I, I made my first feature film that's called The Charmer and both deal with I think that's some of the you know some of the themes are kind of similar but both th deal with masculinity and men who the only uh, thing they can do to kind of help themselves is use their body and in the charm rates used in one way and in this it's used in a completely different way and one of the things I guess for him is also sort of the loss of control, the loss of control over his masculinity, over his displacement in another country. What does that do to him? I think it, it really, I think that, you know, I grew up with men like him. You know, I grew up with people who, who kind of had, uh, 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 who were something when they, in the country that they lived. You know, it could be kind of a, you know, it could even be people who had difficulties uh, finding a partner in Scandinavia because they just they just didn't know how because they were used to a system in 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 the home country. So I think that for our main character, it really, I would I just saw him like a person who had kept so much within him, and it starts to boil over. You know, he starts to have difficulties controlling himself, what he says, what he does, how he talks to his family you know his wife there's a scene where he kind of something happens and he takes it out on his kids and you know these things that i found kind of uh interesting you know it's it's it, in many ways it's about a film about kind of loyalty or, or being loyal to to your family and at the same time having urges for something completely different you know so i think it really it shakes him and i and i like this you know, I almost saw the film like a, you know, like a ticking bomb or something like this guy, something is starting to change within him. And can he choose the right thing or will it kind of destroy him? And what about living in fear and paranoia? I mean, on several levels, secrets, backgrounds, also political. Mm. What have you learned about what how it affects someone to live under that kind of Pressure. I think that yeah, you know, I, I I think Iran is probably one of the countries I've been to that's most paranoid. You have this constant feeling that someone is listening. You can't say, you know, you can't say what you think. You control the way you are, uh, the way you even uh, speak. You know, a lot of people like self censorship is a huge thing in Iran. So that paranoia, I've been you know seeing it my entire life with people from Iran. And I think that it really messes you. You know, it, it's like almost being in a prison. I have this feeling when I meet these guys who are, you know, who I kind of met before making the film and I was thinking of. And it's such a specific psychology that they go through because they're fighting with themselves. You know, their biggest opponent are themselves because they are just like a lot of people in, you know, in the world are dealing with like what they really want to do. And at the same time being afraid of losing something if they go that way, you know, that choose that path. And I think that paranoia like within the Iranian regime is so much kind of based on if you don't do this, if you don't think this way, you will be punished and the punishment can be death. So it's really, it messes with you. And that's why when people, you know, I met people who I grew up with who, who, who kind of, lived in Sweden after leaving the Iranian regime and everything, and still fighting with these things, even, still kind of saying something and then looking around so no one heard it, or saying something that they 
you know, even don't want to say over the phone. And like these things, it's very kind of concrete things. It's thing, it's not like, you know, I think that um, paranoia is uh, within the Western world is kind of looked like it's some kind of mental, you know, kind of uh, like, a, a, like a depression or whatever it can be. But in Iran, it's very like, it's, it's uh, I think the word is concrete, right? It's, ve it's very kind of like, it's not something that you kind of made up. It's really like the reason why there's a lot of Iranian films that are taking place in a car is because that's one of the spaces outside of the home you can speak freely, you know. And you have a scene like that in the car in this film as well, which feels like freedom in a way. <laughs> yeah, that was really the intention with that scene to kind of have a have a sequence where that's almost like a homage for, you know, the films by Abbas Kiarostami or Jafar Panahi, you know, that use the car as a tool of liberation, you know, and I, and, I, and I wanted that scene, that sequence to be like that. It's a kind of funny sequence that really plays around with that feeling. This, we have to talk a little bit about his wife, Marel Nasiri. Is my saying that mm. right? But Maral. Maral. Um, you were mentioning that, you know, there's a difference of being, a, you know, a man from Iran and then being a man in Sweden for him. Um, talk about her as being the Iranian wife and then coming to Sweden and being sort of the Swedish wife. Yeah, you know, Maral was like, she's one of my favorite actors in, in Sweden. I saw, I saw her on stage and I was like, I tried to convince her being in my first film and, and she said no. And then this film, it kind of worked within her schedule. I, you know, I've always loved uh, what she does and I always wanted to work with her. Mariam is a diff completely different character than uh, the main character, like Iman, because she's a woman who is who has a different background. He's from a working class. She feels, you know, she has a back background as a musician, as a like pianist, you know, piano teacher. So you have this feeling with her that she, that they got married and maybe like people, like the families didn't really approve of that because he was so below her in a way, you know. And in the story, you have this feeling that she gave a lot of things up to be with him. And, in the, and, and the shift within her character is that when they come to Sweden and she senses a lot of things that is happening to him and she has this kind of feeling that he's keeping stuff from her and lying and all these things, she also grows as a character and becomes much more independent. So I wanted to kind of use this stereotypical image of an Iranian man and a woman, like, uh, you know, husband and wife, and break that completely apart, you know, and go and go much deeper within that, especially for that generation of that is portrayed in the film that's around 40 something. And, uh, and I really, you know, love this idea of having a woman that you in the beginning of the film is like, okay, this is a simple house wife and towards the end she's a completely different person and is much more independent takes much more decisions for herself and and puts herself in the center you know and and kind of and it was important for me because uh she gives so much up to be with him and she kind of i think that at some point in the film she decides to okay i have to live my own life you know uh, and that's a very provocative uh, you know thought for Iranian kind of society because it's so much based on this stereotypical image of Iran and and um, uh, and how it works within the society. 
How do you feel things have changed in Sweden since you came um, as a refugee and now? Uh, it's definitely changed for the worse. I feel that, uh, you know, what these kind of politicians uh, in, in the Scandinavian and mostly in Sweden, and, uh, even, you know, I've lived in Denmark so many years, so I, you know, I'm much rooted in that society. But I think that they've allowed a language that was racist just uh, a couple of years ago. So they kind of normalize a way of talking about uh, uh, people who come to this country and want to start a new life. So it creates this, uh, you know, atmosphere of, of being unwanted. And that I didn't feel when I came here. Even if I stumble upon racism, for, you know, every day, that's that's something a lot of people, you know, uh, deal with. But I never felt that it was someone who said, like, you know, you come from a terrorist country, you're not welcome. Are you going to, like, bomb something or whatever? But when I worked with uh, these refugee kids, you know, it was such I was really heartbroken because. A lot of them, like the first thing they, they heard when they came here from Afghanistan, it was mostly from Afghanistan back when I worked with them. It was like, oh, you're a terrorist or you're this and that. And, and it just, it, it crushes your self-confidence, you know. And I think one of the reasons I felt like, oh, I can tell my stories and I can do this and I can go into film is because I felt that it was, it was something important I wanted to say. And, and, and what this atmosphere that the politicians have created is is really harmful and it really and it's it's kind of it it's destructive and it creates this uh uh sense that we have to do some things to you know stop the uh, uh refugees to come to sweden rather than actually deal with some of the problems that we have like one of the things is now there's this discussion in sweden where like some of the politicians are saying that the crime is an imported thing to Sweden, that they bring the crime from other countries to Sweden and they shoot each other and within the kind of gang crimes. But in reality, instead of focusing on that and winning some cheap points, you know, for the elections, it's actually that these places that a lot of the young people live, they have like nothing to do. Everything is closed. They have nowhere to go. So of course, crime is the easiest thing for them to do so it's and you know when you talk to parents they're all who live in like for me it's really like i think that uh, they have let down the 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 a huge part of the population just to win some points and just to go into this kind of uh, racist uh, way of thinking and what about the current situation in Iran? How do you see? I'm quite optimistic for what's happening in Iran because Iran has been so good at, uh, you know, hiding stuff from the world and saying that, oh, we are a kind of democracy and women are allowed to do some things and, and it's not as bad as you think. And then suddenly all these protests uh, uh, break out and you see all of these, you know, um, brave young women who are, being shot in one eye and then go out three weeks after and continue protesting, you know. It's these images, it's difficult to shake them off. And, and the world are starting to see what this is. It's a bunch of criminals, you know, who are kind of uh, disguising themselves as, as, as a kind of, you know, state, the Iranian regime. I think that the people in Iran... They, it's it's they, it can't go back as it was because earlier when we had these types of 
you know, uprisings, it was often the young generation and the older generation, they didn't want to be a part of it. So it was like the young generation out there protesting, and then it kind of, the, the, the regime kind of suffocated that. But now you see that it's spread in all generations. Like even people who never go out on the streets are using every way they can to, to, to support it. So I think that, you know, I won't be able to go back to Iran now, but I'm really optimistic that I will be able to go back to Iran. It will be a free society, hopefully, you know. Hopefully. Milad, thank you so much for talking to me and for the film. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to writer-director Milad Alami. Opponent is out in Sweden now, and look for it in other territories coming your way. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.